I would like to dedicate this sermon to all of the nail biters and insomniacs. For those of you who have a pit in your stomach every day, shortness of breath because you're struggling to get through life. For any of you who feel the weight of anxiety bearing down upon you, this sermon is for you. We begin where we left off last week. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And the reason I want to pick up on that is because the next section begins with the word therefore. And as I learned in seminary, we should always ask what the therefore is therefore. And Jesus is hooking what he's about to say about anxiety into this commandment to not serve both God and mammon. So like Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus stands on the mount and he brings his people to a crossroads and he calls us to choose. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of money, sex, and power that your father served beyond the river of your baptism in America or the God of mammon that they served in the land of Texas or the one God in three persons who delivered you from sin and death and the vain way of life handed down by your fathers. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now this sort of altar call can shake you up, especially if you are wavering between two sides or limping between mammon and God. If you're trying to sort through all of that, it can be unsettling. And hard on the heels of that statement, you cannot serve both God and mammon, Jesus, looking at his rattled crowd, says, do not be anxious about your life. That's like telling us not to think about pink elephants or white whales. Don't think about those things. Don't imagine them. Don't have an image of them in your mind. And then that's exactly what we do. It would be like you trying to tell your wife to calm down in the middle of an argument. None of you would do that, but some men have tried and failed. <laughs> it's not like Jesus saying, do not be anxious, suddenly says, oh, fine, I, I'm, that cured me. Jesus says, do not be anxious for a variety of reasons, which we'll get into. But he knows that we're anxious. We're anxious about all sorts of things. In fact, I would say we're anxious about everything all the time. Jesus commands us not to be anxious about our life, not even the basic necessities of life. So how much less should we feel anxious about the luxuries of life? To put things in perspective, keep in mind that the first crowd that heard Jesus teach these things was made up of people Many people who made their own clothes from scratch. They grew their own food from seed and they hauled their water from wells and rivers. These are people who did not have access to Advil and Benadryl and antibiotics. They were the poor who possessed the kingdom of God. The meek who hoped to inherit the earth, the hungry and the thirsty who expected to be satisfied, the persecuted who rejoiced and looked forward to the kingdom, the desperate who prayed for daily bread and forgiveness of sins. If anyone had a reason to feel anxious about life, they did. And yet Jesus commanded even them not to be anxious. 
So if you think these teachings are hard for you to hear today in the 21st century, imagine how much harder it was for them to hear in their life situation. Unlike the crowd gathered around Jesus on the mount, we have plenty of food in our pantries, drinks in our fridges, and clothes in our closets. We have jobs and incomes and homes and cars and bank accounts and credit cards and nest eggs and vacation plans and much, much more. We have an abundance of all the basic needs of life, but we also have an abundance of the not-so-basic luxuries of life. And yet, and yet, we still feel anxious about life and the body and clothing and future, and much, much more. We feel anxious about everything all the time. Why? Well, I can't answer the why question fully in this, but here are a couple of things. Someone has defined anxiety as a force that gives the mind the capacity to spin even the slightest situation into a massive catastrophe. It's no secret that anxieties are wreaking havoc on our society. They're wreaking havoc on the young and the old alike and everyone in between, especially in Western technologically advanced societies like the United States. Ask anyone who works in schools or hospitals or churches, and they'll tell you that mental and emotional health concerns are spiking to all-time highs. Self-medication, self Mutilation and self-mortification have become the go-to coping mechanisms of this anxious generation. We are not okay. We are not okay. Self-medication comes in many forms. It can come in the form of abuse of drugs or alcohol or food. It can come in the form of pornography and gambling. It can come in the form of shopping and gaming and binging. Self-mutilation comes in many forms. The form of cutting and plucking, starving yourself to death, piercings, transitioning. It comes in the form of self-mortification, which presents itself as suicide. An epidemic among 20-something men in our society. We are not okay. The scriptures show us that when the Lord God judges a nation, he has a variety of diverse weapons at his disposal. The most common ones are natural calamities and economic downturns and political chaos, things that we experience on a daily basis here in the 21st century. But a not-so-common one is mental, emotional panic. People run when there is no one to chase them. They fear when they don't understand why. There's an irrationality that comes with it. It's one of the hardest things to detect and one of the hardest things to treat. As one of our own poets has said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. And the problem is that we know that and then we're almost numb to it because all around us we see people living in mild to severe states of panic. Anxiety is becoming a new normal. It is something we just deal with. Everyone has it. What's the the big deal about that? 
We don't recognize that judgment is upon our nation. And we're suffering the consequences of that even in our own hearts. Jesus is not a therapist. But if he were a therapist, his counsel would include, undoubtedly include, confession and repentance. And by confession, I mean it would include the need for us to tell on ourselves, to come clean, to talk about our own brokenness, our own failings, our own weaknesses, our own needs, our own confusion, our own anxiety. And repentance would be a cry to say, I need to change. Can you change me? I want things to be different than they are. To a crowd of people plagued by anxieties over the basic needs of life, Jesus said, turn off your electronic devices. Take a walk on the wild side of creation. Touch grass among the flowers. Take inventory of the birds. Seek the face of God. Soak in all the beauty and the majesty of creation. Look for the one who made the world and everything in it. This requires us to get outside of ourselves, to get into the world that God had made. Now that might not be a cure-all for every anxiety we feel. I'm not suggesting that it is. We still need to take our meds. We still need to eat healthy food. We still need to do physical exercise. But it's going to cure many of the ordinary and common anxieties that plague us. And here's how. By living, moving, and being in the world the way we were made to. Our gaze will be turned outward, not inward. Our gaze is going to be turned upward, not downward. Our horizons are going to be broadened. Our life and worldview will expand. The promises of our creator and redeemer will be seen and felt in our hearts. And the kingdom of God in his righteousness will become more and more real to us. And then our hearts will find rest in the Father's tender love and care. John Calvin said, Sadness and anxiety lock up the soul and restrain the tongue from celebrating the goodness of God. Sadness and anxiety lock up the soul and restrain the tongue from celebrating the goodness of God. Some of us know that by personal experience. We've felt it, we've suffered it, we've struggled with it. We know it by personal experience. Hardly a day goes by that I am not beset with anxieties about something. I'm a 50-plus-year-old human being in a broken world. I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor, Occasions for anxiety abound. So living in a mild state of panic is almost as natural for me as breathing. And many days I've got the bloodshot eyes and the bloody fingertips to prove it. Many of you can relate to that. And I can relate to you. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? How do we cope with these burdens on our hearts well, the hopeful realism of the scriptures is truly comforting for us. Jesus knows 
that we are anxious. He knows that you're anxious. But he doesn't shame us for it. Jesus knows that we are anxious. And he doesn't leave us in it. He shows us a way out. When Jesus says, do not be anxious, ask yourself, how do you hear that? How do you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Do not be anxious. He's not scolding us. He's not shaming us. He's not scowling at us. He is sympathizing with us. When Jesus says, do not be anxious, he is sympathizing with us. It's not a condescending, oh, don't be anxious. It's a compassionate. Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing going to be all right. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. You've heard us say many times that Jesus practiced what he preached, and we come to a passage like this, and we might wonder, well, did Jesus practice this? How do we see this working its way out in his life? Let me ask you a couple of questions before we before we answer whether he practiced what he preached. When you think of Jesus and his life, do you think Jesus lived an anxious, free life? Is that the ideal life of a man in God's world? Did Jesus live an anxious, free life? Or do you think Jesus ever felt anxiety? I can't answer that for you, but I want you to work it out in your own heart I want you to start thinking through it in this next portion of the sermon. Was Jesus immune from anxiety? Or did he feel it? Well, let's look at two parts of his ministry. The first part of his ministry and then the last part of his ministry. In the first part of his ministry, this is what we see. Jesus goes out among the wild beasts. He's all alone. He's vulnerable. He's in the wilderness. Do you think he felt anxiety? What about when he was without food and drink in the wilderness for 40 days? You think he felt anxious about his life and food? What about when he was pressured by the devil to turn stones into bread to satisfy his hunger? To prove that he's a son of God? Or pressured to bow down and worship the devil in exchange for all the kingdoms of the world? What about when he's pressured to cast himself down from the temple and put God to the test? Do you think he felt any anxiety at all about being put in that tight situation? In the beginning of his ministry, when we see Jesus pressured in this way and faced with these trials, he seems calm, cool, and collected. I mean, he just pulls out the Bible and starts quoting scriptures and it looks like everything is fine and then he moves on. There's more to the story than that, but that's how it appears at first glance. But notice what happens when you come to the end of his ministry, the bookends of his ministry, rounding out this beginning initial phase of pressure and temptation. Now he comes back to it in the garden. Again, we're asking the question, did Jesus live an anxious, free life, or did he ever feel real anxiety? 
What about that night when he left the upper room and crossed the Kidron Valley and went up into the Garden of Gethsemane? And he pulls three of his closest friends aside and he says to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Watch and pray with me. What about when he fell with his face to the ground in prayer on the eve of the crucifixion? What about when he was in such agony in his own body that his sweat became like great drops of blood oozing out of his body and dripping onto the ground? Do you think he felt any anxiety in that moment? Or was he anxiety free? What about when he came back to his friends, his disciples, and found them not praying and not watching, but sleeping and resting? What about when his friends showed up and betrayed him with a kiss? And soldiers armed with clubs and spears and swords arrested him. And what about when all the rest of his friends ran for their lives and abandoned him and denied him? And what about when Jesus realized that he was all alone in the world. In the darkest night of his soul, he was all alone in the world. Do you still think he lived an anxious, free life? Do you think he was immune from feeling anxiety? And what about when he was stripped in public and scourged with whips? When his hands were pierced and his feet were pierced and his body was hung on a cross and he was suspended between heaven and earth in public and put to shame, you think he felt any anxiety? And what about when he felt forsaken by his father and the shadow of death eclipsed his life? Perhaps then he felt anxiety. The Holy Spirit tells us in the book of Hebrews that in the days of Jesus' flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Now where did those loud cries and tears come from? They burst forth from an anxious heart, not a sinner's heart, the Savior's heart. Jesus sympathizes with the anxious because there were times in his life when he was anxious, anxious about his life, anxious about food, anxious about clothing, anxious about loneliness, anxious about friends, anxious about the future. Anxious about pain and suffering and the misery of life. Anxious about his personal experience and situation in the world. Anxious about suffering and mocking and beating and scourging and piercing and dying. Jesus sympathizes with the anxious because he's been there and he's felt that. And I want you to know that. He sympathizes with you 
You who have that pit in your stomach. And the fear in your mind. And the sleeplessness at night. And the fidget, fidgety hands. He sympathizes with you. Because he's been there and done that. He was touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He was tempted in all points like as you are, yet without sin. He acts on your behalf in relation to God. He offers gifts and sacrifices for your sins. He can deal gently with you, the anxious, because he himself was beset with weakness. A weakness that included anxiety. Now, how did Jesus deal with his anxiety? He practiced what he preached. He practiced what he preached. He sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness by burying his soul through heartfelt, emotion-filled prayer. He held nothing back from his father. If there is another way, if this cup can pass from me, then let it pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. And the Spirit says he was heard because of his reverence. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And what I want you to hear in all of this, especially those of you who, like me, suffer and struggle with anxiety. You need to know this. That your anxiety is not the sin. Your feeling anxious is not the sin. And Jesus relates to you, sympathizes with you in it. But you also need to hear this, that Jesus doesn't command us to do anything that he was not willing to do himself. So how did Jesus deal with his anxiety? He practiced what he preached he prayed what he prayed so that we could follow suit. Jesus not only commands us not to be anxious. That's not the only thing in this teaching. It's the thing we gravitate to because we're filled with guilt and shame and fear. But there's more to Jesus' teaching than do not be anxious. There are positive things as well. And here are some positive things that those of us who are anxious can do. Look at the flowers of the field. Watch the birds of the air. Seek the face of God in prayer. These are antidotes to our anxiety. The Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching and he applies it to the church at Philippi in this way. He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He's not far away and distant as you might feel or imagine he is. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
This is the Apostle Paul's way of telling us what Jesus said. Here's how you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's not by getting very busy and active and doing a whole lot of things. It's simply by praying and casting your cares on the Lord. And notice what happens. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say? Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is Paul saying? The peace of God will be added to you. It surpasses understanding. It goes beyond our ability to fully comprehend and embrace. But what does it do for us? It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I learned from the late Tim Keller many years ago as he was preaching in Dallas on this passage that the word guard is a military term. And it's the idea of the peace of God coming to set up a sentinel around your heart to keep enemies out, to keep anxieties at bay, to protect you to give you peace and provide what you need according to God's promises. Now, how can we obey Jesus' teaching? If he is the eternal source of salvation for all who obey him, what are some ways we can obey him now? Instead of just worrying about how to not feel anxious, what are some positive things we can do? One of the things I want to encourage you to do is to pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Here's an example of a Psalm. Psalm 55. The psalmist shows us how to cast our anxieties on the Lord by praying along with the Lord Jesus. And I say that because when we read the Psalms, we often think, well, the Psalms were other people like us long time ago, far away, praying to God, and now we're just trying to echo them. Well, the Psalms are also the prayers of Jesus Christ. And when we pray the Psalms, we are praying along with Jesus, the mediator between God and man, the one who ever lives to intercede for us. And so think of yourself as praying with Jesus in words like this. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. But, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening, morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. Anxious souls, do you hear this? The Father sees you. The Father hears you. The Father responds to you. And the Father gives you help to deal with the battles that you're waging in your own heart. See, we feel this, don't we? The anxious are at war within themselves. We all know this. We feel it. But the Lord redeems our soul in safety from the battles that we wage. Another way to obey Jesus is to anchor our own prayers in the Lord's Prayer. It was just a couple of weeks ago that we learned how Jesus told us how he wanted us to pray. 
And if you take the Lord's Prayer and set it alongside of what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 6, you see that by praying the Lord's Prayer, all the things that we are anxious about are going to be addressed. They're going to be addressed by our Father in heaven. And so the Lord responds to our anxious prayers by granting us provision and peace and protection, which we so desperately need. But he does this by means of prayer. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. It's not enough to just try to not be anxious. Sometimes we fixate on that. I'm just trying to not be anxious. It's not enough. You must also strive to trust the Lord in the midst of your anxiety. Don't wait until you're not anxious to trust the Lord, but in the midst of In the throes of your anxiety, that's when you trust the Lord. When you feel anxious, that's when you turn your eyes to heaven and offer your prayers. It's when the anxiety comes, and it will come, that you must respond to it the way the Lord Jesus responded to the anxieties in his own life. The anxieties are real. They're going to be upon us. They're going to sneak up and hit you behind the, the, on the back of the head with a club. They're going to take you down, if at all possible. But if you respond to them the way Jesus did, you have the confidence that the Lord will respond to you the way he responded to his son, Jesus. So don't hold back in your prayers. Offer those loud cries and tears. Unleash those feelings that are locked up in your heart. Let them escape. Shout them to the universe. Get them out of yourself, out of your body and your mind and your soul. Release them. And you will find that there is something beautifully therapeutic about letting those things go. But along with that comes the promise that the the Lord God will hear you and respond. In the dark night of his soul, as Jesus is crying out to God with drops of blood pouring from his body, it was in that moment that God sent an angel to comfort him and strengthen him. He will do the same for you, for his angels are ministering spirits sent to help those who will inherit eternal life. The spirit of God dwells in you. He's the comforter. He's the counselor. Turn to him. Seek his help in your time of need. The spirit will comfort you and remind you of who you are in Christ and give you strength to move on in your life. The word of God will give you strength and nourish your soul. And when you come to this table to partake of the body and blood of Christ, know that you are receiving divine comfort food. It's the best of comfort food because it's in this table that the Lord gives you help in your time of need. And so be encouraged, those of you who are anxious, to offer your prayers and offer your petitions, your loud cries and tears to the Lord trusting that he will answer you. In the 14th century, we find uh, the origin of a prayer that is commonly used uh, among groups like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's called the Serenity Prayer. I first became aware of the Serenity Prayer as a child in my household. Uh, My mother had a display uh, of a book open with the Serenity Prayer on it. Many of you probably had that decoration, or your parents did. It's the first set prayer, the first prayer written by men that I learned. And I've always loved that prayer. 
But last year I discovered the origin of that prayer. It was from the 14th century, and this is how it goes. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, give us serenity to accept what cannot be changed. Courage to change what should be changed. And wisdom to know the one from the other. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we could start a chapter of Anxiety Anonymous here, this would be the prayer that we would offer. But we want to pray because the Lord is the one who steadies our anxious hearts. And I hope and pray that you will avail yourself not only of the Lord Jesus, but of the pastors of this congregation. We don't have all the answers, but we can sit with you and grieve with you, listen to you, pray with you, agonize with you, so that you're not alone in your suffering and not alone in your struggles. Make us earn our keep, but let us be a friend to you. And be sure to take care of each other along the way, because God knows that so many of us are living lives of quiet desperation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Almighty God, you have sent your Holy Spirit into the world, poured him out on all flesh, and he has reached us even today. And we pray that the Spirit of grace who dwells among us and in us will bring us comfort in the midst of our anxieties and bring us counsel to show us a better way forward. And we pray that the knowledge that Jesus suffered anxieties the way we do, in fact, in worse ways than we perhaps ever will, brings us great comfort to know that he sympathizes with us in love. And I pray that for those of us who have forgotten that, we'll remember today and, and be comforted. And we pray that these words will not quickly vanish from our hearts, that the gospel of grace will not be robbed and picked away by ravens and enemies, choked out by thorns and thistles and the cares of this life, but clear a way for this word to grow and bear fruit in our lives. These things we ask and pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.